Good evening, everyone. Today is uh, June the 1st. Man, time goes by pretty fast. Let's begin with a word of prayer. <clears throat> Blessed Lord Jesus, it is indeed a blessing, a privilege, and a joy to dig deep into your word. As just a few moments ago, I was in the garden digging and pulling weeds and watering. So we pray that you would pull the weeds out of our hearts, that you would water us by your grace, and that you would feed us on your word, so that word may take root in our hearts and blossom and bring forth fruit. To that and be among us today, guide us, lead us, and direct us. For the sake of Jesus, the word eternal, in his name we pray. Amen. We are in Daniel 5. Um, when we finished last week, we talked about um, the same word used by Daniel was used by Nathan against um, David in First uh, Samuel, Second uh, Samuel eleven and twelve, uh, uh, eleven and two, at uh, twelve, excuse me, where uh, in chapter eleven talks about um, peeping Tom, David. Um, is um, Bathsheba is bathing out in the open for people to view her, which is, that's another story, but the king is the responsible one. And then um, in verses 22 through 24, where Daniel talked to the king, Nebuchadnezzar says to him, uh, you know, Belteshazzar, excuse me, Nebuchadnezzar was the earlier king, Belteshazzar, by saying, Atahaish, you are the man. So there was no wishy-washy on Daniel's part any more than there was wishy-washy on Nathan when he um, communicated with David. And um, we talked also about uh, question 11, about um, the decree that Nebuchadnezzar had given and Belteshazzar should have known that uh, Nebuchadnezzar said, the only God is to be worshipped is the God of the Jews, which is Father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He should have known that because that would have been in the annals of the kings. He should have had access to it by the secretary. He should have known, but he ignored it. And then in um, question 12, what three ways does Belteshazzar lift himself against God? Uh, first and foremost, he and his guests drank from the vessels of grace seized from God's temple in Jerusalem. You remember when they attacked Jerusalem, they took all the gold and all the silver, and they were literally mocking God. And God, of course, uh, uh, commandment one, you shall have no other God because God is a jealous God. You cannot make mockery of God. And they were making mockery by drinking of those uh, sacred vessels. Okay, it's kind of like if we take what we have in the sanctuary for the Lord's Supper and we put something in there that is unwholesome. Okay, actually that happened to a church in Fenton, Missouri where I did my field work. They put feces in it. They broke into the church and spilled the wine and they pooped on the altar and the vessels. I mean, 
it's it's wickedness. So this is not not um, to that extent of wickedness, but it is wickedness nonetheless because they abuse the right of the sacred vessel. It is a sacred thing. So that's the first thing. Second, uh, second thing that they did was wrong. He praised lifeless gods. By that we mean idols. Anything that is um, ungodly, whether it's a piece of wood or bronze or gold or um, pearl, whatever it is, they... Um, you know, worship that. And of course, in Isaiah, as well as in the Psalms, they say you should not, you know, worship. Like in Psalm 115, they have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. They have tongue, but they can't speak. They have mouth, they can't, you know, they have hand, they can't touch. All of these things. These are lifeless gods, and he's worshiping those. And um, thirdly, he did not honor God, the God who control everything in all of creation. We talked about Ephesians 1, everything uh, along with Colossians 1, Ephesians 1 and Colossians 1, where everything in the whole universe is under the control of God. There's nothing that is without him. And the comment that I said that there's a big distinction between a deist Okay, have you heard that term before? A deist versus the divinity. So a deist, which is close to divinity, but completely different. A deist is a God who makes something but never sees it. Actually, I took um, Kathy's uh, watch. You know, somebody made this, right? But a deist talks about somebody created this, but has no control of it, doesn't see it, doesn't know anything about it. When we talk about the divinity is that what God created, he controls. Because there is nothing without him that, does, that, that happens that does not take really place in his kingdom. And so this brings us to question 13. And if you want to review, and I'll, I can do it. We don't have a lot of verses, but we can look at verses 22 and following towards the end of the chapter. There are not that many verses before we come to the conclusion. So let me just begin with 17, and that, I'm going to read it from the scripture, actually. I'm not going to read it from the handout. I'm just going to read it from the scripture. Then Daniel answered and said before, uh, said before the king, let your gift be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. And whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would be, would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up, that's first commandment issue. When his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his uh, kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it, 
whom he will. And this is where we're going to pick it up. And you, his son, Belteshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. And you and your lords, your wives and your concubines, have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed, and this is the writing that was inscribed, Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. This is the invitation of the matter. Mene. God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Taken, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belteshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belteshazzar the Chaldean king was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Okay? And, and here enters, of course, Cyrus later on, the guy who de delivers the Jews from Babylon. Before we go to the question, when I was doing the reading, uh, um, talking about a deist versus the divinity and deity of God, is there anywhere in the scripture here that shows that God is in control? There is more than one. Let's put it that way. Where he is in control? Of course. Well, because of those three ways that he lifted himself against God... It says, therefore, he sent the hand that wrote Aha. the description. So, number one, the hand appeared out of nowhere. So, that's control. But think of the previous king. What happened to him? He went mad, right? And he was living with wild animals. Now, and he was fed, what? Grass. For, it says, for a seven season. We don't know how long that season is. Tell me, how does a man survive on grass? with a stomach unlike a cow or a goat or a sheep. Where does he get the protein from the grass? Okay. Only God could give him a stomach that is able to digest. We, we don't think about that, but that is to show you how in control God of everything. You know, uh, this is not in this story, it's in Jonah. Think when Jonah said, you throw me over, and what's the next scene? Everything is still. Still, that's one thing. What's the, uh, the big fish is waiting for him to catch him. So he was entombed in this fish. And normally, what would happen if you were in the uh, mouth of a fish for that long? Die. You'll die because, A, there's no oxygen, <clears throat> number one, right? Secondly, what would happen with the body with all of the acid? It will start to what? Break down. Okay. Decay. 
It's kind of like when a snake grabs uh, a carcass of whether it's a deer or something before too long, what's in the snake's uh, body, it will just digest everything, bones and skin and hair. Why didn't he die? He was in the um, mouth of the fish, the belly of the fish, for three days. Nebuchadnezzar did not die. He's eating grass. Okay? Have you ever tried to eat grass? Well, it's bitter for one thing. But secondly, what would you get out of it? We're not animals. And so you can see how God is in control. I mean... Uh, with all of that. So it is very helpful for us to understand that. So let's go now to the question. What additional detail does Daniel add to the idols of Babylon? That it showed dishonor to God? Okay. But specifically, how? What was it that Daniel talks about? And I just finished reading that. They do not see. Aha, uh-huh. bingo. They do not see. My Bible says, do not under- see or understand. Correct. Well, they have no knowledge of things. It's a, okay, can you talk to this bottle for me, Kathy? No. Uh, why? I can, but... It's not going to do any good. So if you wanted a daughter, another daughter now with them, and you can't get pregnant, so you talk to this and say, give me um, the fertility so that I can get pregnant again. What is that going to do to you? Nothing. Okay. Absolutely nothing. The same things right here. So he's saying you have all of these lifeless idols. They can't hear you. They can't see you. They don't understand your needs, and yet you're praying for them as if they are able to help you. And that's the problem. That is really the problem. I mean, they had gods for everything. God of rain, God of sun, God of wind, God of fertility, God of love, God for marriages. You name it, they had all of these different gods, and they literally would sacrifice to those. This is why God's first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. And the Hebrew were in, in my face. In other words, don't make God. So they can't hear, they can't see, they can't understand. Um, they are no more alive than the material that they made it out of. It's a tool, but it's not God. It doesn't breathe. It doesn't, you put it one place, it's not going to move. Where God is present <coughs> everywhere. And so it's very helpful for us to understand it. Why Daniel um, so blunt with the king to say to him, You've had the warning. The other king did the same stupid thing. He elevated himself. That's why he brings it in. And we looked at it last time in chapter 4. What he was doing. And he says, he did the same. You are his son. You should have known this. And those of you who are children. uh, Excuse me, parents, not children. My apologies. 
and you see your kids doing something and you say, don't do it, it's not going to end well because you've gone through it, right? Don't do this, right? Because you know when you tried it and your parents said, oh, my mom is an idiot. She doesn't know what she's telling me, right? But you discovered the hard way that she's smarter than you do, right? And so this is kind of what is going on here. And Daniel is very blunt to say, you know, you got all of these gods, but they, could, they do you no good. Do you know how many times a day I say, I cannot keep you safe when you do not listen to me? Good so for you. Times. So many times. I should just record it and just hit play. <laughs> well, but again, too, you know, you have to remember, too, they are fallen just like you and oh, I. Yeah. I mean, you think when you were little, mm-hmm. you know, I remember when I... This girl? Are you serious? I've heard about her already. I got words. You know what my mother used to say to me? I pray to God he's going to give you a son just like you. No, but I got one just like me, David. The other two were like angels compared to David. David... If anybody could get in trouble of any kind, it was David. If anybody, the oldest or the middle, my middle. And guess what? He has one just like him. (laughs) But you know, I mean, I was rambunctious, I guess you can say, and I, I did stuff. Anyhow, so, um, yeah. Question fourteen. Why does Daniel add this additional detail? To show the distinct difference. Yeah. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is a God of love, a God of compassion, and God of intimacy. He's connected with his people. As you've heard me, if you've been uh, worshiping here, Many times I would say, uh, beloved, beautiful, baptized, and blood-bought children. I don't remember how often I say that. Why do I say that? Because so many people say, I know God doesn't love me because I sin a lot. You have no idea. God can't love me. I've done this. And I say, you don't understand God's love. God's love and compassion is beyond words. And so he emphasizes this so that they may know you're wasting your life away without receiving the benefit. Because they've heard of this God and they know about this God. So uh, let me just read my notes here and then uh, hopefully this will help you. Daniel emphasizes that idols cannot see, hear, or know in contrast with the one true God who holds Belteshazzar's breath and life. Okay? Just remember that. He holds the breath and life of every human being. Uh, Isaiah 6, uh, uh, 6, 24 and following. God provides for the birds. One sparrow may fall from the tree. God knows about it. Okay? Um, Who does see? who does hear and who knows and acts. Daniel is also telling the king he has a 
backwards. He praised lifeless, powerless gods while mocking and profaning the vessels of the living Almighty God. So he's, he's very frank with him to tell him that. Okay. And um, the more we understand who God is, you know, we talk about our God as omniscient, right? What does omniscient mean? All knowing, omnipotent. Huh? All-seeing? No. Omniscient, omnipotent is all-powerful. Uh, okay. okay. Um, see, omnipotent, uh, almighty is also omniscient. What's the other A now? I forgot. Um, all-seeing too, but he knows everything. Uh, and when I teach confirmation, I said it's on both sides. There's a comfort and there's also the warning. The comfort is God is constantly with you. All presence. Okay. Omnipresent. Omnipresent. So the comfort and the warning. The comfort, no matter where you are, you're never out of his sight. He protects you. He provides for you. He promises to be with you, all of those. But at the same time, when you're doing stuff that you shouldn't be doing, he's there also. So, you know. And so that's very, very helpful for us. And... Um, so it is really helpful to grasp that everything uh, that God ordains becomes to fruition. And we have, we have plenty of places where God demonstrates. Let me take you to John chapter 1. Turn around um, for John chapter 1. And I'll have you go towards the end of the chapter. Um, John chapter 1. Okay. Let me get to it and then I'll have you. All right. Let's begin um, verse 43. Uh, and I want you to understand omni, the omnipresence of God. So we're going to go to John 1 verse 43 and following. Wait for Alicia to get there and then we'll start. Okay. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Uh, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. If you want to know where it is in um, the book of Moses, Deuteronomy 18 verse 15. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Notice the next couple of sentences. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? That's the question. How do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, isn't that something? God isn't there, but he could see him while he was still standing underneath the fig tree. God sees all things, knows all things, hears all things. And it's a, it's a beautiful way to look at life from God's perspective. And that is really helpful for us to understand the great comfort that we have 
that God is constantly watching over us. You know, and to those of you who are in church Sunday, or if you looked at it online, I said we never travel alone, right? We travel with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the holy angel that's assigned to us and our body, the holy temple of God. So there's always five, no matter, and I, the way I said it, there are, we travel as a Pentateuch, right? Pentateuch is five. So it's me because my heart is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Then you have your holy angel assigned to you. Then you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all combining. So you're, you're always traveling in a group, never alone. And this is why Matthew 28, 20 is such a wonderful thing where it says, Lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age. He's always with us. And so it is very helpful for us to understand that. Okay, let's look at uh, the handout now. So I'm going to just read to help you kind of with the interpretation to make it more clear. When it came to the interpretation, there are some things that need to be understood. Um, the mina is just 6,000 shekels. The shekel and the half mina were used as weight measurements. Honey, if you remember the olden days when they had the scales, when literally you had weights to put on. And if you guys have seen those, I mean, they still use them back where I come from. They have all measurements for them. You put your apples and they put this right next to it and they figure, oh, you got three kilos, six pounds, something. So that's how they use it. So they use this as a measurement, as on the scale. Today, we have digital, right? You stand on it. It goes the number without anything added there. So um, I, I missed that. I said it lies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going there. The shekel and the half mina were used as weight measurements. Though they do not appear in human logical order, which would cause the wise men to scratch their heads as to the meaning for the mixed match weights, also there is the question of what is being weighed. Daniel's inspired inter inter interpretation, and you probably want to underline that, because anything that we have, and even like last Sunday, uh, I talked about the inspired words of Paul. Those were inspired. He didn't just write out of his own opinion. So Daniel inspired interpretation involves an elaborate word wordplay with a three-part interpretation of each of the three words. There can be no question that Daniel's understanding is by divine interpretation. That so another word, and we learned that early on from Daniel when he said, I can't interpret it, but God gives me the interpretation. And we also looked at Joseph in Genesis also when he stood before Pharaoh, and he also said the same things. I can't interpret, but God gives me the interpretation. So let's look at all of these interpretation, the first word, second word, and the third word as we look at this. So the word many or mina um, counted or paid out. Mina or mene, God has counted. There's a word play on mina and mene, uh, a noun for weight. Mina can have the meaning of to count out money to buy something. So if I were to take now my uh, wad of cash that's in my pocket and I can start counting, 
That's what's going on. So God literally is putting on the scale the things that he wants to weigh against this man. Okay? Um, so, money to buy something. Your kingdom and paid out, paid it out to pay a bill in order to take possession. God is, I like this terminology, repossessing the kingdom from Belteshazzar. You remember, nothing happens unless God ordains it. So he's repossessing the kingdom, okay? The second verb, to pay out, is an implicit and indirect play on the noun for mina. So the second word, uh, tekel or shekel, weight and light. So shekel or tekel, you have been weighed, tiklata, word play on tekel, a noun for weight. In Babylon, counting or paying out was accomplished by weighing quantities of precious materials in scales. We talked about this a few moments ago. In the scales, and you have been found lacking, lacking in weight, too light. The verb tickle would result from a different vocalization of the same consonants <coughs> in tick L. Okay, uh, it's kind of, um, I'm, re- I'm reminded of a story um, this woman wanted to buy um, a chicken. And so the guy goes to the back, live chicken. So he goes to the back and um, he puts it on and it said, this is like three kilos, which is six pounds. No, I want something bigger. So he brings another one, happens to be the same one, but he puts his finger on the scale and pushes it down. Oh, this is like four plus kilos. Okay, I'll take the both of them. You've been found out because he only had one, but with the extra weight of his finger, he cheated. Okay, so this is kind of what's happening right here. God is counting where you are lacking. Okay, so this is something to consider. The third word is parson, which is half mina broken in two, and that's in the Persian um, which is the kingdom. And we, as we read in the scripture, that is to say, the kingdom is going to be broken into, and the, the Medes and the Persian takes over, and Darius becomes the king. Okay, so half of, of Mina, Paris, your kingdom has been broken into. Pristat, I, this is kind of as close as you can get to the spelling in the Hebrew into English terminology. Pirsat. Wordplay on Paris and given to the Medes and the Persian Paras. Again, wordplay on Paris. Why, why is it so important for us to see this? For one thing, in English you don't have that. I mean, I don't know if I can compare with something that similar to um, wordplay or not. Well, I guess not um, homography. You know what homography is? where a word spelled the same but has two different meanings, right? An example. A homophone. Huh? A homophone. A homophone. Okay. Well, a graphone, actually, from grapho is writing. Homophone. Okay. So, phone is the voice, like where you get the phone, but it's from the phone. So, homophone. So, bad, for example, is an animal, right? 
but you also have bad baseball, right? It's the same word, but it has totally different meaning. And context would tell you. And this is kind of what's happening. Like right? gay, too. A gay person. Well, nowadays, it's no longer that. It used to be. Right. It, uh, anymore. Right. But they, the, no one uses gay today. 40 years ago, fine. Right. The movies of 1960, 65, 70, 75, and before. What a gay couple. A gay event. You say that today, it's a totally different thing. Oh, you don't have a question, okay. No, but so, anymore, that word is no longer used in that way. Okay. So, God used Daniel to demonstrate that even the foolishness of God is wider than humans, and the weakness of God is stronger than people. That's from 1 Corinthians, right? Paul talked about that. And uh, no matter how wise we think we are in relation to God, we pale in comparison. Okay? Uh, I, I don't want to sound conceited by this statement, forgive me. But I'm a theologian. I spend my time in the scripture. I study, I study, I study. And the more I study, the more I know I don't know. If that helps you understand. I mean, I spend hours daily in the word, whether it's in Hebrew or Arabic or English or Greek. I'm digging into this. I'm looking at these words. I'm trying to digest these words. And I read it and say, I don't get it. Because I'm not God. Romans eleven thirty three. Who has known the mind of God? Because if you do, then he's not needed. All right. 16. Why does Daniel continue with the passive role of Darius, which is Cyrus, receiving the kingdom and was made king. What does Daniel want the reader to remember? Well, with this one, you need to think outside the <coughs> box. And I shared earlier with you, Cyrus, or Darius, Cyrus is mentioned 30, uh, no, 23 different times in Scripture. But if you know anything about the history of Cyrus, Cyrus was the king who freed the Jews from Babylon after 70 years of captivity, and he sent wealth of Babylon back to build Jerusalem. You know. So Nehemiah, for example, he goes back because Cyrus said he could, and he had letters to have uh, Nehemiah go through without any hardships of any kind because of Cyrus. So with that background, let's look at the question again. Why does Daniel continue with the passive role of Darius receiving the kingdom and was made king? What does Daniel want the reader to remember? Why is that important? That God can use you wherever you are. You're pretty close. You're pretty close. You're hot. Um, not quite, but you, you are very close, really are close. <laughs> she is hot. Okay. Anyone else? Think outside the box. We talked about that earlier. Think outside the box. 
establishes the kingdom. So God gave him the kingdom. You are. Huh? Divinity. <laughs> Divinity. What were we talking? Bingo. Right on the money. Nothing happens without God's control. God put Cyrus in that kingdom so that in the future, he's going to release the Jews from the captivity. You, are, you and I, I, I'm getting goosebumps as I talk about this. You and I are limited with our vision because we can only see what we have experienced. God sees everything, and we, I've demonstrated this many times on the board, so I'm not going to do that tonight. But for God, it's always now. There's no yesterday, there's no tomorrow. He sees everything. You and I experienced yesterday and up till tonight, 740. That's all we experience. I have no idea what's going to happen in the next 20 minutes, if I'm going to be alive, have a heart attack, or get on the road. I have no idea. God does. And so when, and the emphasis, and I said, you are hot and you're close and you are right on the money, is that God is in total control. He emphasizes that night you're going to die. Somebody's going to take the kingdom, that's Darius or Cyrus, so that in the future we're going to read about going back to Israel or Jerusalem. So nothing happens without God's ordaining. And you've heard me many times mention Romans 8.28. For we know that God works always for the good of his people. Okay? Um, God remains the one who puts kings. And this is the words from um, St. Rose. God remains the one who puts kings in authority and removes kings um, from authority. What happened to Dominican Israel, Belteshazzar can happen to Darius as well. So God is in constant control. This is why no matter what happened, who's the king? All right. This fall of Babylon was foretold by prophets. Um, can I have somebody read Isaiah thirteen seventeen? I need one person to read that. And the other one is in Jeremiah 51, 11. Isaiah 13, 17. Jeremiah, excuse me, Jeremiah actually right after Isaiah. Um, who's willing to read that for us? If somebody want to read Isaiah first. You can see the active agent. I am stirring them up. So he's getting them all riled up. Because they, they tell you they don't care about the silver. They don't care about the gold. Okay? So that's not a big deal. What about Jeremiah 51, 11? Sharpen the arrows, take up the shields. The Lord has stirred up the spirit of the kings of the Medes. Because... 
His purpose concerning Babylon is to destroy it. For that there is vengeance of the Lord, the vengeance for his temple. Yep. So we already know from other prophecies that God had ordained this to happen so that Babylon will be completely eradicated and destroyed because they made mockery of God. So it is very helpful for us to remember that God sees all this. Okay. Is um, Darius the same as Cyrus? Correct. Why did they use the two names? Do they uh, have a different meaning? Uh, I didn't spend any time. Uh, Cyrus is a deliverer uh, in the Hebrew. Um, they use that. Um, I don't know. I, I don't want to say. Um, the one thing that I will say, God controls all of history and human kingdoms, everything that uh, happens to me. How does Nebuchadnezzar's statement in Daniel 4.37 sums this up? What would Peter teach us in 1 Peter 5.5? 5? We can look at 1 Peter. First look at Daniel 4.37, and then um, we can do all of that together. Um, 4.37. Okay, Daniel 4. Thirty seven and then first Peter five five correct. In Daniel 4, 37, it says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, is a, he is able to humble. Okay? So he's speaking from a personal experience, correct? Because he was arrogant, he was proud, he thought he could do anything, and God said, no, he cut him off for a season until he came to his senses, right? And then in First Peter, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, close yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, okay? And then if you look at Proverbs, for example, um, Proverbs tells us... Um, Pride comes before the fall. So anytime you try to elevate yourself, be aware that you're going to be knocked down off your feet. Anytime you elevate yourself above, then you realize that um, you are truly just making a mockery of who God is, and God will not take second place. Never. So discussion on this here as far as the questions we have.
any comment. How does Nebuchadnezzar's statement in Daniel 4.37 sums this up? What would Peter teach us in 1 Peter 5.5? 5, 5? What do you think? Explain a little bit about the people who've gone before you. Well, for example, like, Belshazzar, even though the things that happened to Nebuchadnezzar, he still didn't listen. So if he would have heeded what he had learned from before, that God is in control and to not do those things. Very good. Um, Simply put, um, you've heard the saying, um, the school of hard knocks, right? You got to go through it so that you learn something, right? And it's a, tough, it's a tough lesson, right, to be through the school of hard knocks because it, it's painful to go through that. So Nebuchadnezzar is saying, you know, I learned my ways. I was arrogant. I was proud. But God humbled me. He didn't destroy me, but he humbled me, and he brought changes in my life. And the apostle Peter helps us to say, hey, young men in particularly, because he's talking about people uh, who have no hope. He's trying to give them hope here to say to them, learn from those who have gone before. Okay? Uh, I've been out of the painting business now for, gosh, 1989, so over 30 years now. I'm no longer a professional painter knowing what's the best brand, (coughs) even though I know a lot about painting, but I'm no longer, I don't deal with it every single day. So if I am in need of something, who do I go to? To my two brothers who are in it, like let's say, don't use this kind of quality because that's not good. Use this one. That will make it easier for you because I'm no longer in it. The same things with the theology um, that when a senior pastor, for example, okay, um, has done something and he knows it doesn't work very well, then um, the senior pastor would say, you know, I've gone through this. For example, I have two, well, actually I have three. I have one in Minnesota and two in South Dakota. They call me Father Confessor. By that, they'll call me up and say, Father Confessor, how would you deal with this issue? And I give it to them. If they listen, they've gained wisdom. If they chose not to listen, that's their difficulties, and they have to deal with it. But, you know, I I talked to one of them today. uh, He he asked me about something, said, thank you, Father, for giving me the wisdom that I needed to hear. So it's nice when you have somebody that looks up to you, because, you know, I'm almost 30 years into the ministry. I've gone through a lot of things. Do I know everything? No. But the same things with um, 
Daniel, when he's writing about the king, saying, hey, here's something that you can learn. He tried to elevate himself above God, and God says, no way. And the same things with Peter by saying to us, uh, this is something that I want you to consider. Look to the elderly who have gone before you and know. And in my language, we have a saying, Ask someone who has gone through it, but don't ask the doctor. The doctor may tell you what it is, but if somebody, let's assume somebody had an amputation of an arm, okay? He can tell you what it's going to feel like, right? The doctor is going to describe it, this what may happen to you, but there's a difference between somebody who's gone through it or not. The same things with divorce, okay? I've never experienced it. I teach uh, kids, don't do it because it's painful, but I don't even know the half of it compared to somebody who has gone through it. That's what you are getting out of this. This is wisdom for, the, for today to heed and hear God's word because it's life-giving. So, all right. Any questions or comments? I have a question. Fire away. In general, like, you know, we talk about prophets and that. What about, like, in today's time? Do we have prophets today? Yeah. Preachers. Uh, the difference is the prophets of the Old Testament, they were foretelling what was going to happen. Okay. The prophets of today, which, if you want to use that term loosely... I, I cannot predict what's going to happen to the future, but I can teach just like Jeremiah taught when he preached or like when Peter preached. I don't have the vision and the capacity to do that. Why is that? You've seen me do this before many, many times. And so uh, why were the prophets of old necessary compared to today? You've seen me do this before, right? Yeah. The Old Testament is constantly pointing to the coming of the Savior. So the prophets of old were talking about his coming. Genesis 3.15, right? Um, I will give you a redeemer who's going to crush the serpent's head. Deuteronomy 18.15, I will raise up a prophet like me. Listen to him. Uh, Isaiah 7.14, the virgin will conceive. Micah 5, 2, he will be born in Bethlehem. So throughout all of the Old Testament, they were telling all of these prophecies about the Christ. Okay? Now, the New Testament, there's no more prophecies. There's only teaching. Now we teach the people what the cross has accomplished for us. There's nothing to prophetically tell. You know, there are those who call themselves prophets. For example, they know when the end of the world comes. And they have missed every time they try to say that, they have blown it. No one knows the time. Like, like the Jehovah Witnesses. Jehovah Witnesses will predict specific day, like a few years ago, in California, 
They gave specific time in, on October or something like this. He had calculated and prophecies from God. And people literally sold their properties and car quit working and went to this place and waited. They were disappointed. So there is no prophecies like because everything has been fulfilled except one other prophecy. And that is his final return. But everything that was already in the Old Testament prophetically proclaimed has been uh, come to fruition. The only final prophecy is the return of Christ. So we don't need the prophets to predict what was going to happen or say that. Okay, for example, people are right now talking about probably that the third temple is going to be built in Jerusalem, right? You've heard this many, many times. I don't know if it is or not. All I know, Christ is coming back. Meanwhile, prophetically, we teach. You know, when we talk about in catechism instruction, the offices of uh, the Lord as a prophet, priest, and king, as a prophet, he uses past. He preached while he was on earth, and he preaches through the pastor today. I have nothing to prophetically tell you that's going to happen, because it already has happened. It's done. It's a done deal. That's why we point Old Testament, all of these things about the coming of the Savior. So you don't wake up from any wild dream. Oh, it just happened. No, because if you do, then you are taking the scripture and say you are better than the scripture. There's no... Because if you do that, then you're saying you know more than God. Because God said there's no more prophecies. You know, he spoke to us. He, let, let's go to uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, no, Hebrews chapter 1. Let's do that. I'll show you what I mean. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 1. Okay. Hebrews 1. Okay. Uh, just before uh, James... First Peter, back, if you back before um, First Peter, back, then James, just before James. Yeah, if you find First Peter, backtrack a little bit, then you have James, it's only five chapters, and then you have Hebrews. Okay. Hebrews one. Chapter one. Okay. Chapter one. Chapter one. So here's what it says. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our, far, our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Okay? So at one time, there were the use of the prophets. But anymore, all we have is Christ all what we have is what he said. That's why we don't need the prophets of old like they were at that time. So, if that helps you understand a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it does. Because my girlfriend and I were talking about why we no longer have... Because there's no need for them. Yeah. I mean... I see that now. Yeah. 
on now tomorrow for and I can have another discussion and I well, but that's more. why we have Bible study so that we can grow in the wisdom and knowledge and then uh, if you read the rest of it I'm not going to do it now but if you read the rest of it it's almost like a crescendo it's like almost a stepping ladder one of my colleagues painted uh, Hebrews chapter 1 with a ladder Jesus is higher than the angel. Jesus is higher than the prophet. He's just like higher and higher and higher. So he is supreme over everything. Now, she's Catholic, which I know you and I both are. Yeah. We're raised Catholic. And we've left the church. And she's still in it. But correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm, I'm thinking I'm not. But the word purgatory... I told her that I thought I was right is not in the Bible. It's, it's nowhere. Up. It's nowhere to be found. I think the first time it came to be used it was in the 12th century. And it's a made-up Catholic word. Yeah. Well, purgatory supposedly is a place. And is that's why that's part of the reason why Luther left split off. Well, that is part of it. The the, the biggest reason Luther left the Catholic Church is because they were buying indulgences as if Christ's life was for sale. Right. We talked about that. Yep. We also talked about purgatory. Right. And, uh, and like Luther talked about, if the Pope have the power to release people from purgatory, get them all out. Why do you have? You got the whole world's wealth. Why would you need to have them pay if you have the power to do it? Of course, he doesn't have the power. And so that's why Luther called him the Antichrist, which is anything against Christ. So we were talking about, like, when you die, I said you either go to heaven or you, got you go to hell. There's no choices. This is it. And a good example of that would be Luke um, 23, I want to say either 34 or 42, where it says, uh, where the um, thief... On the cross, say, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what does Jesus respond? Today, you will be with me where? In paradise. In paradise. There is no stop. Uh, let me look at it. It's Luke. I know it's Luke 23. But I could get mixed up with um, 42 or 34. Because one of them is, uh, Father, forgive them. Luke 23. Uh, let me look here quickly. Um, okay. Um, 42. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's the thief. And he said to him, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. So 42 is what the thief said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And 43 is what Jesus responded to him by saying, today you will be with me. So there is no purgatory. There is no waiting. You know, it's the same, it's the same things to the people of the Old Testament. They believed by faith, as if Jesus had already because we talked about that last time. If you look at Isaiah 53, it was written as if it's already done. 